To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. everybody and welcome back to What's This Dow All About? My name is Todd Perry and with me is the great Dr. Carl Totten. Good morning all. So we have some news when it comes to uh, making this show easier to listen to. We are now on Spotify. So on the left hand side of your screen on a desktop, click podcasts. And uh, beneath there, you just, you know, search What's This Dow All About? And we'll pop up. The weird thing is that the shows don't pop up in their correct order. So it'll be like show 38, show 16, oh. show... Yeah, it's weird. Like iTunes, they're all in order. So mm-hmm. mind the um, the show number on there. Uh, so you, you're listening in the correct order for when we reference things or, or whatever. But yeah, that's up there. It only took a second to do. And uh, now hopefully we bring more people into the fold. Uh, also, uh, for everybody listening, we'd like to thank everybody who's recently donated to What's This Dow All About. I've blown away by the generosity uh, of everybody that's um yes. you know try, uh, supporting our uh, attempt to uh bring the dow into everybody's homes and ears through this show <laughs> and spread the message worldwide and we thank everybody for supporting and uh if you haven't yet it's just a $15 donation and you can just do it right on PayPal right on the front of our website where it says donate $15 gets you an unreleased episode called Finding Talents in chapters 42 and 53 $35, you get that in three approximately 30-minute uh, guided meditations by Dr. Totten. Uh, the feedback on them has been great from everybody. Um, so, yeah, if you'd like to support us, it does take a lot of work uh, and effort to get this show going. So um, and studying and preparing and reading and uh, responding to emails from people. And, you know, it's, it's a labor of love, but it's nice to get a little bit of support for that. Uh, and then another thing in the news is uh, Dr. Totten pointed out to me uh, the Taoist Institute is now famous because it was in the film uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm. the new Quentin Tarantino movie. Yes. Yeah, I remember a couple of years ago when it was being filmed. And, you know, the, of course, when they have a film crew out here, you know, all the different stores are having, you know, uh, temporary signage put up and things like that. Yeah. And, the, you know, the streets are blocked off and, you know, the security and all that. And uh, I said, and I asked, oh, oh, what type of movie is this? And he said, oh, it's a new Quentin Tarantino film. I said, oh, okay. And now here it is. And and the one scene in there where Brad Pitt is uh, giving, offering a, a girl a, a ride, in the backdrop, in the background, you can see our sign, the Dallas Institute. See, and now that will become iconic. Yes. Right? You're going to have uh, people come, like tourists that come to, to see all the different yes. places where everything's filmed in L.A. <laughs> right there. And uh, there was, um, 
Oh, is it on our Twitter page? If you follow us at What's This Dow, uh, we have a photo of it, and I have a little arrow pointing to the <laughs> yin and yang signal. And it's a it's a scene where uh, Brad Pitt picks up a member of the Manson family. Yes, you know the good old, you know what what was the Manson family? Did they have a variety show in the seventies or something? <laughs> what was there? Were they on ABC? Were they like the Brady Bunch or whatever? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the anti Brady Bunch, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, and by the way. Uh, once Upon a Time in Hollywood, great movie. One of the few movies that in, in a while that I've actually debated with my friends with over the next day or actually was, you know, controversial and thought-provoking and slaps you upside the head. In fact, I sent you my, essentially my psychological review yes, of yes. the film. Because mm-hmm. one of my students actually had a kind of a, uh, kind of a negative reaction to the film. In fact, he thought that it was the, the worst thing that Quentin Tarantino had ever done. Right, and I <laughs> thought know. it was among, among his best. And I yeah. think it's among, I agree. But, and, but I think that you have to have some flexibility in your thought process in order to see it that way. Yeah. And, uh, and as we know, Quentin Tarantino is very good at communicating on many different levels of experience. Yes. And if you're stuck on one level, he will challenge you. Yeah. Well, you know, I think a film is obviously like any kind of art is a great Rorschach test to where we are in our brains. Exactly. And our ability to overcome cognitive dissonance. Yes. When we see something that doesn't match up with our mental maps, we reject it. Instead of expanding, we contract, right? Exactly. Stiffness is the way of death. Yes. Very much so. And art is, it was like I had a, I had a fight of many I have with my brother in law. Uh, <laughs> and we were, we were fighting about like the, Last Jedi, the Star Wars movie or whatever, and he hated it, and I didn't think it was the best Star Wars film, but I admired what they were trying to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was, my point was, like, you know, uh, when the movie doesn't go the way you want it to go, that's a great thing, and that's the artist pushing you. And then he was like, well, it didn't go the way I wanted to go, therefore it's a bad movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that's, you know, that's not the job of the audience. You know, your <laughs> job is to be taken. That's the joy of art is to be taken by the, uh, the artist to places you may not want to go. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Um, but and some to people suspend disbelief a little bit. Yes. If not, I'd just be sitting on my lawn watching the traffic go by. Right. <laughs> There's no susp- You know, it's all believable. <laughs> that might get a bit boring after a while. Yes. Uh, so uh, on today's show, we're going to talk about the empty boat. A I guess you call it a poem by Chong Su. And then what else do we have here in the rundown? We have oh some listener mail. And I believe that's it. So uh, we're going to start with The Empty Boat by Chang Su. And for those who are unfamiliar, so basically you have uh, the Tao Te Ching, which is the basic book of basic kind of Taoist philosophy. And then kind of... Kind of Tao 101. Yeah, Tao 101. <laughs> and then you have Chang Su, which I always say is kind of the Mark Twain of Taoism, where it's more... Pros, it's some of the same ideas just kind of expanded on. Dow 102. Yeah, Dow 102. <laughs> and then what would, one o- what would 103 be? Would be maybe uh, I Ching? The, yeah, it could be the I Ching or uh, the, the, the Late Tzu. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the other one we're going to be discussing, uh, I think, uh, next show. So, yeah, there's, there's, uh, you know, there's different uh, you know, uh, points of reference when you when, want to research uh, philosophical uh, or religious uh, or contemporary uh, Taoism. Mm-hmm. There are many sources out there. And a lot of the sources, by the way, are in very much in contention among scholars, uh, scholastic researchers, as to their provenance. Mm-hmm. You know, 
was, was for even Lao Tzu, was he a real individual, the scholars debate, or, or was it a collection of ideas attributed to someone called Lao Tzu uh, much later? Mm -hmm. And uh, that runs as a theme throughout much of uh, uh, Chinese uh, research, philosophical and spiritual research. Yeah, well, it's like uh, Benjamin Hoff, uh, who wrote the Tao, the Tao of Pooh, who I was lucky enough to talk to about his new book, mm -hmm. uh, which, fortunately, don't want to give it up on this, uh, t you know, reveal what he was doing until the book comes out. But uh, and he was he was basically had pinpointed who he thought the author of the Tao Te Ching was, mm -hmm. uh, or got close to the psychological profile of who it came from. So mm -hmm. I, I, I can't wait to read that and then and get him on here. But um, so we're going to Chongsa's Empty Boat, and this is a, this is a really beautiful uh, poem that there's a lot in there. So I guess I'll read it once, and then we'll break it down. We'll break down the game film on it. All right. And it comes from, I guess, Outer Chapter 20, and this is a translation by Thomas Merton. He who rules men lives in confusion. He who is ruled by men lives in sorrow. Yao, who is a character in the story, Yao therefore desired neither to influence others nor to be influenced by them. The way to get clear of confusion and free of sorrow is to live with Tao in the land of the great void. If a man is crossing a river and an empty boat collides with his own skiff, even though he may be a bad-tempered man, he will not become angry. But if he sees a man in the boat, he will shout to him and steer clear. If the shout is not heard, he will shout again, and yet again, and begin cursing, all because there is somebody in the boat. Yet, if the boat were empty, he would not be shouting, and he would not be angry. <laughs> if you can empty your own boat, crossing the river of the world, no one will oppose you, and no one will seek to harm you. The straight tree is the first to be cut down. The spring of clear water is the first to be drained dry. If you wish to improve your wisdom and shame the ignorant, to cultivate your character and outshine others, a light will shine around you, as if you had swallowed the sun and moon, and you will not avoid calamity. A wise man has said, he who is content with himself has done worthless work. Achievement is the beginning of failure, and fame is the beginning of disgrace. Who can free himself from achievement and from fame Descend and be lost amid the masses of men. He will flow like the Tao unseen. He will go about like life itself. With no name and no home, simple is he without distinction. To all appearances, he is a fool. His steps leave no trace. He has no power. He achieves nothing, has no reputation. Since he judges no one, no one judges him. Such is a perfect man. His boat is empty. Hmm. Isn't that beautiful? Well, there's a lot to unpack. <laughs> there's a lot in there. There is a lot in here. Dr. Totten, tell us, illuminate us on this uh, great parable. <laughs> yeah, I, I really love the, uh, the analogy of the, of the empty boat, you know, where 
if if the boat had some, you know, that was you know blocking his passage, had someone in there, you know, he'd be, you know, we'd be upset, we'd be yelling, screaming, cursing, get out of the way, what's the matter with you, you know, you know, think about some of the road rage you've seen in your yeah, in your exactly. day. You could you could rewrite this and say the empty car. There's one of these Google driverless vehicles, and it it hits you. You're not gonna get maybe maybe you're not you're not gonna get as mad as if it was some guy driving next to you, right? But yet, as you said. If it were an empty boat, you would not be shouting. You'd no. not be angry. You'd just go, oh, well, this is a boat in the way. I guess I need to go around it or help or move the boat aside, perhaps, you know. And and so, you know, I think there's there obviously there's some lessons in there about how we populate our psyche with obstacles. Mm-hmm. Now, th- there's no way to go through life without encountering things, people, ideas, ways of being that are different than the way we typically function. And therefore, in our own minds, which of course tends to be uh, in separation, tends to be polarized, we see things as this or that. And this way or that way, or my way or the highway. Yeah. And things that come up against us, what we interpret as being against us, rather than being just another element in life that perhaps could be actually complementary, we see these things as being in opposition to us or in defiance of us because our ego gets activated. Yeah. The ego being that part of our self, our our consciousness, that wants to prove itself to be right. Mm -hmm. And very often, proving ourselves to be right winds up in our mind as being having other people be wrong. Think about politics for a moment. Yes. (laughs) I'm trying not to. (laughs) And yet, if like an empty boat, you know, it's just something that is has moved into our territory our awareness and by moving around it or waiting for it to drift past or by helping shift its path maybe to even be in harmony with with our boat see see so now it isn't blocking us anymore in fact we're all moving in the same direction and in fact on the waters you know with the wind blowing what direction are things going to be tending to be moving in anyway? And maybe is our boat not going in the correct direction as well? Maybe that boat, especially if, it's, if we see it as empty, is just going with the tide. It's just going with the tide. Maybe we're going right. against it. <laughs> and, and, and particularly if, we're go- if we have in mind a, a set destination, right, then the only way to make the boat move in, quote, the right direction particularly if the winds are not in our favor, is to use all sorts of uh, rigging and maneuvering and uh, perhaps, of course, later, uh, if it's not just a sailboat, engines and things to force it to go in a particular direction that may or may not be going with the ebb and flow of the tides of life. Mm -hmm. And so I think that each of us, In fact, one of the purposes, I think, of meditation, Taoist meditation, really is to move into the position of 
the empty boat. Right. You know, we 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 find ourselves in a timeless space. You know, a place of no time and no space. And since there's no time in relation to this moment or another moment, and there's no place or position in space, because you know you need to have one thing and an, and another object in order to know where you are in any given place in the universe. Yeah. But if you can let go of all of that and just move into a place of just timeless consciousness, and just being in one with where one is, a lot of the things that we tend to get upset about in daily life just disappear mm-hmm. because there's no reference points of where, oh, I'm here and that is over there and therefore there's a separation and a difference and since I'm here, I must be right. And since you are over there, you must be wrong. Yeah. And therefore, I have to. I've, I've created an artificial distinction, and by by including artificial barriers, okay. you know, yeah. between one place or one person or one idea or one country mm. <laughs> or or one philosophical tradition and another. Yeah. We do this all day, all the time, automatically. Yeah. And as I often say, looking at the history of the world, we see a history that is rooted in conflict mm-hmm. and in separation, which has led to one group of people wanting to dominate, manipulate, control, invade, enslave, yeah. and kill others. And un- until we are able, I think, to move beyond that, because ultimately, you know, as Carl Sagan said, and here we are on this pale blue dot, if you look at it from a, uh, a satellite in deep space, and on this tiny, tiny little world is all of this conflict, when, when actually we're all much more similar and the same than different. Especially from that from that van- that yeah. vantage for that perspective yeah and and as I always tell people, all of life is about perception and perspective, you know our ability to perceive things as hopefully as they are mm-hmm. as opposed to our preconceived notions of what they are or what they could be or should be, and how we put that in perspective, see so we perceive with or without a lot of baggage, and then that leads to a perception with or without a lot of baggage. Mm-hmm. If both of those can become much more open, much more neutral, much more uh, uh, integrative as opposed to polarized, life becomes very, very different mm-hmm. and very, very simple. Mm-hmm. You know, I think ultimately, I think the Taoist path is very simple. In spite of the fact that you know people have been kind of thinking about and debating these notions and ideas from the Tao for what 2,500 years or more now, <laughs> because the the way that a lot of the things are written, particularly from Lao Tzu himself, it's written in in a pretty abstract fashion. Yeah. Meaning that because it's abstract. It, it can be applied to almost any facet or area of life depending on how one one's what? 
perception, perception yeah. and perspective yeah. is. And that's why it, it has appealed to so many people, I think, for so many centuries, and yet at the same time been a source of great confusion for people for a long time. Because if, if, you're, if, we're, if we're trying to present a non-polarized, integrative, non-dual position to a brain... That, that wants <laughs> to put everything there naturally. That doesn't have those qualities, yeah, then th there's, going, there's going to be some pushback. You know? and, and, and even in the attempt to, uh, to, quote, understand and figure it out, something that very often, by its very nature, is in a format to not be something that can be understood in a linear polarized fashion because to do so is to miss the point <laughs> yeah and and i think it, in the process of trying to decode what all of this what, what this tao is all about that begins to develop that mindset in people yes that, that the basic ability to, to expand you have to kind of expand your mind when looking at it like again we could sit for 45 minutes and discuss three lines in this yes right it's so just rife with with so much uh for one to juice and for one to miss <laughs> There's lots of times we've done discussions on this, and I'm like, oh, you know what? We, we cut it off too soon, or there's a whole other side to it we didn't get to, or whatever. Um, you know, the famous, I, of course, I love the famous uh, Zen koan, you know, you know, this is the sound of two hands clapping, right? Clap. Yeah. What is the sound of one hand clapping? That, that should be an entire episode, dude. You just say that once, and then we have 45 minutes of silence. Of course, my favorite uh, story about that uh, was, you know, the, found, uh, the, the founder of our Taoist tradition was a, uh, was a famous uh, philosopher, scholar, actor, hypnotist named uh, Dr. Kai D. Mm. Uh, you know, he was the the uh, brainwasher and the Manchurian, the original Manchurian candidate with uh, oh, yeah. Frank Sinatra. Mm -hmm. And he was the kind of the, the bad guy, the red, the red Chinese uh, spy or agent in uh, the original Hawaii Five-O. Oh, yeah. You know, he was, uh, you know, the, what was the guy's name? Lofat. Yeah, his name was Lofat. Was, uh, well, yeah. But uh, the, 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 the good guy, Jack Lord, the character, uh, was his foil all the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he'd go through all these machinations and eventually, you know, catch him at the end of the program. But, of course, because of diplomatic immunity, he'd always escape yeah. <laughs> so, and, and live to come back another day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? But so he's the one who actually started the original, you know, what was called the I Ching Institute in uh, Southern California, oh, yeah. which evolved into the Taoist Sanctuary, which then when I uh, came along, I you know, opened my school here as the Taoist Institute. Right. And so some young man came in who had been reading all the Zen works for years, and he, he had an audience with uh, Dr. D. And he said, Dr. D, you've got to tell me. Oh, the, the, this, this is the sound of two hands clapping. What is the sound of one hand clapping? Please, sir, enlighten me. Dear, Scott, dear sage, Tell me, what is the sound of one hand clapping? And Dr. D hauled off and slapped him and said, that is the sound of one hand clapping. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs>
You missed the point. <laughs> well, yeah, well, well, he got it. <laughs> yeah. At that point, I, I hope he was enli instantly enlightened. Right. <laughs> so, there are many different roads, right? <laughs> but it's getting slapped in the face. Um, that you know, was great. Uh, getting back to this boat here, um, I was thinking uh, about the empty boat, and it's the idea that um, from a macro perspective, you know, well, lots of times when, when we're getting into the idea of the true self and everything, we mm -hmm. realize that the, the self is an illusion mm -hmm. at a certain point. And the idea that the other boat is empty, right? Because if there is no self, then everything is really an empty boat, mm -hmm. right? Uh, mm -hmm. We're all, you, we, I am part of that boat. I am part of that human being. We are all kind of on the deepest level uh, interconnected. And it's that lack of connection that makes me get mad at that person in the other boat. Right. Um, and then there's also the idea that uh, I think many times we take everything personally that people do to us. Like, um, there, I think on cer at a certain point, we're all kind of doing our own little dance of crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody has their own issues they're trying to overcome and uh, traumas that they've had to live with and you know desires they want. And lots of times, somebody's just doing their thing and you just happen to be in front of them, mm -hmm. right? That's their behavior. That's their dance. It has little to do with you. You're just standing there. Yes. And we take it personal when yes. people throw their crazy at us, but sometimes it's just like, they're just doing their crazy dance. I'm not going to take it personal. Much like the empty boat, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. um, That's why I, I love some of these passages in here. You know, uh, a wise man has said, he who is content with himself has done a worthless work. Achievement is the beginning of failure. Fame is the beginning of disgrace. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Now, take a look around at all of the people now who have achieved some uh, notoriety and, and fame and how that led to the beginning of disgrace. Right. Oh, yeah. Think about the, the, the very powerful, particularly men in society now, yeah. you know, who are kind of a pariah. You know? Right. I mean, heads of studios, heads of uh, news uh, channels, uh, no, politicians, politicians, yeah. on and on and on. Again, their achievement became the beginning of failure. Fame became the beginning of disgrace. And isn't yeah. that interesting? I mean, what? How psychologically sound would one have to be to be able to accept all the fame and power and influence over people and not have it sour you or not have you you behave inappropriately? And it's also the person that is searching for that fame is somebody who's probably compromised to begin with slightly. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so then they get yes. what they want and then, you know. You know, and that's why in the martial arts we say that the highest goals of a martial artist is, is not the ability to beat up others. Mm -hmm. No. The highest goal is to master oneself and to display humility, uh, tolerance, respect and self-restraint yeah because that shows that one has really mastered one's own ego and so you know when we're you see people doing martial arts uh particularly if if the if the practitioners are conscious 
and you see them, you know, punching and kicking and throwing and rolling and doing all these, uh, you know, spectacular looking things. In our own mind, yes, at one level, you know, we're, you know, engaging with another person in, you know, so-called martial combat or self-defense. But at a, at a deeper level, we really are wrestling with, struggling with, trying to punch and kick our own limitations to the curb, you yeah. might say. Uh, uh, we're, we're challenging our own ego because most of the time you see us, we're doing these uh, forms or kata, you know, we're doing things just against the air, against as if we're surrounded by imaginary uh, opponents or attackers. But most of the time in our lives, we're not being... Uh, attacked all the time by yeah. others, you yeah. know, unless in our own mind we set that up, and you know, again, we, we don't see an empty boat, do we? <laughs> right. Yeah. We don't even. There's not even a boat. There's not even actually a boat, but we see a boat with a person that's right. coming directly exactly. at us. Exactly. All the time. Yeah. And so that's why I think that this is just such a beautiful analogy uh, to our to our world. And can by by remembering every time we find ourselves triggered and upset, it's really an empty boat. Yeah, it really is. And you know, I think the idea is lots of times I'm starting to realize this. I never really put it together, but more and more I see is tough guy is actually scared guy. Yes. And lots of the people I know that project themselves as tough or whatever actually people who are kind of riddled with anxiety yes. and afraid of the outside world. Very much so. And the people that don't need to put on that tough guy demeanor are people who are confident, or not, not, you know, confident in the mm -hmm. way that the, the world is not out to get them, that the universe is a, a little bit more of a uh, friendly place. And I can tell you, as, you know, as being a practitioner of martial arts now for you know, over 50 years, <laughs> the absolute best martial artists I've ever met in my life embody those qualities that I mentioned. They're the most patient, the most humble, the most quiet, the most self-restrained, the most respectful, decent human beings you could ever meet. In spite of the fact that with one finger, you know, they can they can smash a board or your head or anything else they wanted to. Yeah. But it's as if that very power humbled them and ha made them realize the divinity of all life everywhere. And they have great respect for everyone that they meet. They, they seek to make everyone they meet a friend. Because if you've made everyone a friend, there's no opposition, is there? Right. Yeah. It was I was out one night with a buddy of mine, and he brought a friend that I, I'd never met him before. It was like a co-worker. And uh, we're, we're sitting in the bar just having a drink or whatever, enjoying ourselves. And the guy kept bringing up the fact that whenever he goes out, he gets into a fight. Hmm. He just keeps saying this. And I turn to my buddy and go, this guy's going to get into a fight because this is how he walks in the room thinking... Someone's going to challenge me. And he was a nice guy, but he just had, and he just kept bringing up the fact, oh, me and my cousins don't go out because we wind up, wind up getting in fights. And I'm like, you know, me and my buddy, we don't walk in the room. We're, we're going to have a good time and be safe and go home and whatever, yeah. right? <laughs> and I'm just like, we got to get away from this guy. So eventually, <laughs> I just left, and I went to go get some tacos because I was like, this guy is bringing some bad juju into the room, <laughs> and I'm going to end up getting hit with a schooner <laughs> uh, if I hang out with this guy. Um he 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 never met an empty boat. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I love that. Uh, there's so so much stuff in here. Uh, let's see here. Um, there's one part in here where Chongsa kind of references some of, some of his other writing, 
And he says, the straight, tre- the straight tree is the first to be cut down. Mm-hmm. The spring of clear water is the first to be drained dry. And there's a, a piece in the Changsa Inner Chapters where he talks about uh, one man is calling this one tree ugly and gnarled because the tree takes these very odd shapes and shifts and turns. And Changsa is saying, well, this, this tree is the one that's going to last and live forever. Because nobody wants to cut it down. They're not coming after it for a straight piece of wood or whatever. And, um, but yet, if you have the straight tree out there, that thing's going to, a lumberjack's going for that one first, it's going to be taken out. Right? It's almost like, um, you know, it's, well, it's almost in a weird way, it's like being that guy in the bar. Right. That's bringing the bad juju, like the other guy looking for a fight. They're going to meet each other at some point, right? But, you know, whereas if we can just accept things, as fulfilling their own nature as they are, you know, it's like the old uh, story about, you know, here you have, you're out in nature and you've got a mountain and the mountain is very, very tall, right? But it can't move. And yet down at the bottom in the valley is the river. The river is very low, right? But it's flowing, it's moving. So does the mountain laugh at the river because it's lowly? Does the river laugh at the mountain because it cannot move? Yeah. No. Each is fulfilling its own nature just by being what it is. And each needs the other. And each needs the other. Mm -hmm. And so all this comparison that comes from seeing the world as a polarized and in separation rather than everything fulfilling its purpose and the larger purpose, you know, the great Tao, you might say, uh, that is a, a far more uh, holistic and integrative way of seeing reality. Where we're talking about perception and uh, what that means mm-hmm. in terms of how we see the world and our place in the world. And um, looking at the history of conflict today and throughout history, I think this is a very powerful lesson that uh, we human beings uh, have yet to learn Uh, There's also a bit in here. If you wish to improve your wisdom and shame the ignorant, to cultivate your character and outshine others, a light will shine around you as if you had swallowed the sun and moon and you will not avoid calamity. And I think I see that as... um, It's like, you know, there are people out there that maybe... Well, what do they what do they call it? And t- it's a it's a politically charged word, but I you know uh, virtue signaling, yeah. right? Where somebody uh, you know they go out on Twitter and they find you know they they're so perfect, so they call out everybody else. Or people mm-hmm. make statements on social media mm-hmm. about how caring they are, or how woke they are, or how patriotic they are, or how. Uh, Christian they are or whatever and how, how morally superior they are for whatever mm-hmm. reason and they and they and they kind of sig- try to signal their own grandiosity mm-hmm. and everyone and no one likes these people <laughs> right and they and they you know and, and to do so they are shaming others like they they the people that see the good is the enemy of the perfect, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And and there are a lot of people out there that, uh, and and I see this as that is, is there is a uh, I read a study one time about self righteousness, and about how self righteousness kicks off endorphins in the brain mm-hmm. when we get self righteous, we get a high off it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that people get addicted to their own self righteousness, yes. yes. and they don't realize that other people perceive them as. 
is uh, annoying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but also, and the people might be good people, and they might be doing good things, and they might be fighting the right fight in this world, but there's a way to do it. It's almost antithetical to your cause if you end up being so self-righteous about it that people don't even want to hear, hear from you. Mm -hmm. you know, and it gives people a good reason to tune you out. That's why I love to hear when uh, Chonsu says, you know, basically talking about the sage, you know, who can free himself from achievement and from fame, descend and be lost amid the masses of men. Who can do that? Uh, and those who can, he, he says, he will flow like Tao, unseen. He will go about life. He will go about like, like life itself with no name and no home. Simple is he without distinction. To all appearances, he is a fool. His steps leave no trace. He has no power. He achieves nothing, has no reputation. Since he judges no one, no one judges him. Such is the perfect man. His boat is empty. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. And yeah, just the way, in the end, it poetically ends up with his boat is empty, taking from the beginning. Um, it's a beautiful piece. And, you know, it's fun. I hadn't read it until, I don't think I had read it until... Uh, Recently, even I'd read the chunks, so maybe it was just this translation, it, it mm -hmm. felt different to me or whatever. But mm -hmm. someone had posted this on Reddit, and I thought it was oh, a, okay. a great thing to share. Uh, let's see here. So we have some listener mail. Always. And if you want us to, uh, if you want to be on the show with a question or whatever, you can uh, email us and uh, just hit the contact uh, button. It has the email. You can, you can reach us. Uh, listen here. Dear Todd and Dr. Todd, I've been listening to your show for a couple years now, and I know how much Todd likes to start with praising the show. <laughs> so I've listened to all the episodes, some several times, and I absolutely love it. And then the quickest way to get on, uh, on this show is actually to, to compliment us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have spent much time learning Eastern philosophy during my intense yoga training that I did a few years ago, and Taoism just fits me. One thing that I still have trouble with sometimes is the idea of prayer when it comes to Taoism. This is something that brings me much peace in my life, but I almost feel phony when I go to pray. I do not believe that there is some person in a white robe listening and wanting things to be better for me, but at the same time, putting, on, putting a face for the lack of better words was something does help me. Okay, but putting a face for the lack of better words was something does help me. I was wondering what your thoughts, ideas, and practices were when it comes to the idea of prayer. I've always liked the idea that prayer is talking and meditation is listening. I think that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, but who are you praying to in Taoism? Mother Earth and Father Sky? Do you just talk to this power? I sometimes feel like a reason Christianity and other religions are so successful is because there's a face to associate with it. It's not like I'm going to pray to Lao Tzu. <laughs> so, Dr. Carl Totten, is, there, is prayer a necessary thing in Taoism? Mm -hmm. Is it something that uh, Taoist abbots are into, or is it just kind of something left to the Abrahamic religions? <laughs> you know, I, I um, uh, said to uh, Charles, you know, Taoists uh, don't generally pray as such towards a deity or some being, per se. You know, my Zen master, who's very Taoist in many respects, often says that prayer is a form of spiritual begging, he calls it, <laughs> and is not a recommended practice. But instead, you know, and, and uh, I think something you said to this gentleman, Charles is his name, he said, if we instead start with feeling gratitude for what we have, 
and for what shows up in our lives, then we feel content and serene much of the time. And in addition, an enlightened approach is to recognize that in actuality, we are all aspects of the great Tao at all times. And it's only in our limited perceptions that have us experiencing separation and the need to pray, to ask for more, when if we are actually aligned with our true connection, we would recognize that we are all essentially evolving towards the living the Tao itself. There's really nothing to get that we don't already have. Mm -hmm. Because if we're in alignment with the Tao, which is everything, we have everything we need. Yeah. And it's only a matter of allowing in what's already there. And so prayer, effective prayer, really is a way of listening to our own kind of brain and heart kind of come together in recognition of that so that we can actually source, you know, return to the source of who we are and what we already have. I think that is the nature of prayer, if you will, from a Taoist perspective. You know, it's a matter of integrating and connecting with what's already there, but we just lost sight of. Yeah. So uh, it's a different way of prayer that uh, I think that some other traditions, which often posit something outside of oneself, or at least people's understanding is of something outside of oneself that has to be prayed to. Yeah. You know, like he said, the, like the, like he mentioned, you know, a being in the sky somewhere. Yeah. You know, or someone in a robe somewhere. And he needs money. <laughs> this is the great George Carlin joke. <laughs> and, and like Charles said, he's not going to, you know, pray to Lao Tzu. <laughs> yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, I, I wrote to him, I said, I love the idea that prayer is talking and meditation is listening. Mm-hmm. Lao Tzu often talks about the problem with talking too much and that the sage is much more inclined to listen. Because, after all, those who know speak and those, well, well, th those who don't know speak and those who speak do not know. Right. So that's probably why Taoists seem to advocate for uh, meditation. So if you're going to follow the way and get something out of prayer, I say the most Taoist thing to do would be use that time of speaking out to practice gratitude. Mm -hmm. Instead of praying for a supernatural being to grant favors, maybe try to read off a list of everything that you are grateful for. Mm -hmm. I think that would be good. And being that uh, everything is kind of interconnected, that you're just kind of speaking out to the great Tao. Mm -hmm. And say, thank you, man. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is great stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I breathed today. I saw mm -hmm. today. I experienced mm -hmm. today. Or I did nothing today. <laughs> nothing was done unto me today. Mm -hmm. It was a beautiful thing. Yes. So. I think that's a, a great practice. I'd like I'd like to do that. I think that uh, gratitude is really it's really transformative once you kind of try to take that attitude towards things. When I'm lucky enough to be in that headspace, yes. I think, why aren't I always in this headspace? You know, and I, I think that's one of the uh, beauty beautiful things about getting uh, you know inquiries questions from our, our, our listeners because it, it, it's, it's a good reminder you know, for, for us uh, of, 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 what's, of, of what we already have you know? Be and, and because when, when we have to explain something to someone else we're explaining it first to ourselves right. and my Taoist master day one he said first you help yourself then you help 